Welcome to That Weekend Feeling with Darren Mann. That Weekend Feeling today, taking a serious look at a serious issue. Kidnappings have very much been in the news in the Eastern Cape during the course of the past few weeks. Ongoing investigations by police into those. But outside of South Africa's borders, there's also a story unfolding with kidnapping at the heart of it. A South African who has been kidnapped and the gift of the givers have got a hostage negotiator hopefully negotiating his release. It's in Mali. Joining us now from the gift of the givers, once again, our old friend, Dr. MTS Silliman. Doc, good morning, and thanks for doing all the great work that you do. Tell us about this mission. Well, good morning, Darren. It's a continuation of what we started in 2019. I Just a little background. We were involved in Mali since 2015. We were negotiating for Stephen then for the Swedish journalist, I mean, Swedish citizen, Johan Gustafsson. And then around 2017, we got involved with the South African crystal water and the mining company that he worked for. The guy's, the mining man's son was kidnapped together with Christo from Burkina Faso. That was around 2017. And unfortunately, Christo was killed in the process and while in captivity, the mining guy's son came out, you know, alive. Something was paid for him by the mining family. They decided to go their own route after a while. And then that, so that relationship with the intermediaries, now we need to understand the terminology. Gifts of the Givers is a facilitator. We have our own negotiator. The people we speak to are the intermediaries. They are the ones through a whole chain that eventually connect to the captors. So the intermediaries had kept relationship with, with us. And in 2018, they said, do you guys know there's a South African taken hostage in Mali? So we said, no, no we don't know. They, so we said, where did he come from? Then they tell us that he was bought from a group in Libya. And then it rang bells because Gurko was taken hostage in Libya on the 3rd of November, 2017. And eight months later, he was sold to the group in Mali. And then, we, of course, we didn't we get, in, get involved unless somebody calls us and tells us we need your help. And so around 2019, I think the family contacted us through some, some medium, and we got involved. We used the same negotiators who gave us information. We spoke to them. I mean, not in, in negotiators, the intermediaries. Mm. We spoke to them, and, of course, the price was quite high. They came back and they said they won $3 million U.S. dollars. So we said, you know what, South Africans don't have any money. The usual story that we gave them with all the other South African stories. What was different here was that when Gurko was taken in Libya, he wasn't taken alone. He was taken with three other Turkish nationals. They all worked for the same company. But the Turkish guys were released because I think the company paid for them. Okay. And I'm not sure if they were employees or they were the directors of the company. So they were released, and maybe the guys thought, you know what, you can pay for three, you can pay for the fourth one also. But if from three million, we brought the price down to 500,000 US. But of course, there was nobody to pay. Mm. We not we don't pay ransom money. We just mm. facilitators. The family had nothing, and the government was not getting involved, and the company was not getting involved. So basically, we did, did end. We couldn't go any further. And then COVID came. Just a few months later, it was COVID, and everything shut down. No airports, no discussion, no negotiations. You can't speak to anybody. You can't move. You can't travel. So he just died. And then in January this year, there's the intermediaries sent a video to, to my negotiator and said, look, here's a video and on, on Gerko. The video, he looks good inside there. He speaks. He says, I'm well. I want to come home. They've been trying to get out of the government. They can't break through. Can somebody help me? I want to come home. 
I think we couldn't do anything because we had nothing to deal with. Two or three weeks ago, Dimitri sent another message this time saying that a French car has been released. We couldn't understand the context because every now and then somebody is released. Mm. A day or two later, we understood the context. A, a, a French radio called us and said, giving you us, giving us a message that the, this French guy that came out of captivity, he was there for two years. Right. But in the last six months, he was together with Gergo. And he said, he's giving a message that Gergo wants to come back home and please somebody must do something for him. And then I spoke to my negotiator. His name is Muhammad Yahya Diko. I said, Yahya, we've got nothing to go on. There's going to be no funding. But, I mean, the man is desperate. His wife and his children waiting for him to come home. Let's use an angle. It's the month of Ramadan. Our only leverage is that it's the month of Ramadan. And people generally are a little supposed to be a little softer in this month. Okay. I said, let's use this month as the leverage. So he says, yes, okay. And I said, we're going to ask them. We're going to use the words fi sabili la. It's an Arabic word, a phrase that means for free, for the sake of God Almighty, as a chari- charitable, you know, uh, gesture on your side. Sure. So Yahya said, okay, let's go with that and let's make a video. So we made a vid- video with the wife and then when the wife was speaking, the son was with her and we decided let's ask the son to make a video also. So we made the, the son, a video with the son and the wife and of course it's been sent across. When he negotiated, then left. On Saturday night, his Sunday, he was in Bamako, and yesterday he was meeting first the first group of intermediaries that he has a relationship from previously. The main guy that we know is not in the country, but they got hold of him, and he said, "Wait for me. I'm coming back after the fast is over, and you must wait for me. I will speak to you." So Yahya will wait there, you know, for him to come. But in the meantime, he may travel the whole all parts of Mali. Kidal, Gao, go to rural areas, go to the districts, again, to start the process going to see what we can do to win over groups who can sort of give a good word mm-hmm. on our behalf to try to get Gurkha out at no cost. Tell us a bit about Gurkha, his full name. Who was he working for? What were the circumstances of him being kidnapped? Was he being irresponsible? Or Just give us an idea of that process and procedure, please. His name is, I know him as Kalt van Dierfenter. But I think Gerko is, is, is another name or a nickname or something, but he goes under the name Kalt Jakobus van Dieventer. He was working in Afghanistan, and ironically, he said it's too dangerous there. And he came to Libya, and I think in a short space after he was there, he was taken hostage. It's not being irresponsible. You know, he was working for a company. Turkish companies got a lot of interest in Libya, a lot right. of contracts. And he was there as a paramedic. And in fact, the South Africans who work as paramedics or work as, as intensivists in Mali right now and in Niger and other places, they go, they work with helicopter crews and for other governments. So South Africans do go, many went to Iraq, many went to Afghanistan, others went to Mali, some went to Niger. So they do move around, others went to Libya. They do move around. So maybe to just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And whilst those other three were taken, he was there with them and got taken with them. And Doc, a few years ago, we heard of lots of kidnappings. There was almost a spate of them. Is it still a real and present danger or has that slowed down a little? It's always real and present danger because it's unpredictable. It can happen anytime. It's just that people should not go to areas where it's high risk. You know, it's just, unless you've got security, you've got, we went to Yemen recently, it's high risk, but I'm running major operations in Yemen. I had to go back, you know, to to, to see what's going on. We did since 2012, and that's where Pierre and Yunani Koki were captured. They were captured in Thais, and my main visit was to Thais. 
And, you know, we went there, but we had full military escort. 14 to 16 soldiers with us all the time, you know, and, and uh, to go to all the different areas to check the hospitals, to check the feeding centers, to check the leprosy center, everything else, see the, the, the IDB, the camps everywhere. And the government said, no, 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 no way can we travel. Under no circumstances can we travel alone. And they, they, we had a full military escort, even between the different towns. There were they, they were the shifts changes. We had a full convoy, then another convoy took over. You had to be protected. Now, unless you have protection and security services, and you go as a businessman, and you go to a tourist place, you know, you're just very high risk. And the actual uh, negotiations regarding Gurkha, if I might return to him again, whereabouts is it? Is it, give us an idea, are we halfway there? Is it just starting the process? No, no, we just started. Yeah. We just started. We, we only made the videos the last week. You know, we made the videos last week, uh, and then, of course, we sent a negotiator across on, on Saturday. He left, he landed there on Sunday. The videos went up front, they went to the intermediaries. Now, what you can't work out is when will it reach the captors? Because they have their own link, they have their own chain. It could take one day, one week, one month, six weeks. Right. Because they follow a system that you know that you can't trace them. So we don't know who takes it to what. Does somebody go to a certain spot and drop it off, you know, give it to them on a disk, on a flash drive? Do they transfer it on the phone? What do they do? We don't know. So in that process, you will never know. So it could be, and it could be the captain's right there next to you right. in, in the next street. Yeah, so it just depends how soon they meet him and how they close to get to it. And then, of course, they could have this discussion. That's the difficult part. The one part of the difficulty is they paid for him for, for the group, group from Libya. So they won the initial investment back. Mm. If they just took him without having to pay for him, it would have been easier. But the fact that they paid, they always want the investment back. And then they tell you expenses. So we asked them, what's expenses? They said food, mm. water, clothing, accommodation, transport, fruit, medical services. And this was during Stephen's time. But you told him, but you guys took the guy? And uh, so you expect to pay that kind of stuff? They said, you, you can't discuss like that. It's going to pay the price, right? And then that's the first problem. The second thing is, Christo bought us case. We were almost getting him out before he got killed and charge. The elders agreed. They said, look, they say he's got no money. He's a South African. He's an ordinary worker. Let him go. The young one said, no, he can't go. Then the other complication is, besides the local inhabitants who are the Tuaregs, in those groups, we have a lot of foreign fighters foreign national people who are part of the group that come from other countries and they are much more stubborn so if the local guys say yes and the foreign guys say no you have a problem again in this month hopefully everybody will say yes you know we're hoping that that will happen and hope we get him out we've got 10 more days you know to get the message across to make sure we can get something meaningful done in this period of time if someone has a friend or a family member or a loved one who ends up getting kidnapped is it best to approach gift of the givers or do they need to follow official channels first? In your experience, they'll be very traumatized. What is the best way to go about it? Look, they must use their own, they must use what makes them happy. People go to governments like, uh, in Stephen's case, they, they went to government and then the father approached us. And then we spoke to government, they said, go ahead. You know, we don't talk to terrorists okay. and we don't pay ransom money. So, and that one, and in, in Yolani Kaukis case, nobody approached us. My guy, Anas Al-Hamati, who works, who was head of my office in Yemen, saw it in the local media, in Thais. And then he asked me, do you know if South Africans taken couple, a couple take a hostage? Yeah. And it so happened that that morning, it was in our media also. So I said, I just read about it now, a few minutes ago. What do we do? Hmm. Do we help? 
I said, no government's going to talk for them. Let's just do it. Let's go for it. We've got nothing to lose. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, Dr. Silliman. And once again, thank you so much for all the work you do for mankind in so many different theatres, including the kidnapping that we're talking about today. Um, wishing you and your organisation all the best going forward. Thanks for joining us on That Weekend Feeling today. Thank you, Darren. Thanks a lot. That was That Weekend Feeling with Darren Mann.